So let's open our hearts. This is Jody Romero. Is, is this where you want me? Is this the best place to be? Okay. I am uh, of Mexican descent, so I am height challenged. There's, uh, although my son, who we've just sent off to Australia, he's, I don't know what you would call it in meters, but he's six, six foot two, so he's a, he's a big kid. Uh, where do I start? So my, my wife, Vanessa, sends her love. Uh, she is back home with three of our small children. So we have six children total uh, because we are good and proper Mexicans. And so we, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of our story. I'll share a bit about that in a bit. Um, two of our sons are, have left, left our home. One's moved to Australia and is based at Extreme Life Church with Paul Collinson and their team out there. And our son Ezekiel has moved out to Chicago and is based at Anthem Church with uh, Stephen Deborah Sudworth out there. And so um, we're slowly but surely uh, sending our kids to the nations, which is a, a privilege. Uh, if, you, uh, if I were to tell you our complete story, you, you would understand how big of a miracle that is for a, a small family like ours, two very broken people, Vanessa and I, who God has redeemed and has, has saw fit to, to place his hand on and to use and to watch what God has given us just because we have said yes to him. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of your story, Glenridge. Uh, you, you are a beautiful church. I don't know how often you, you are able to sit back and reflect on who you are and what God is building in this place. Uh, but why don't you look at someone next to you and say, you're beautiful. Uh, this beautiful. This beautiful picture... This beautiful picture of the kingdom that is reflected through this local church, it is, it is a prophetic thing that I believe that God is doing here in this place. Uh, and I believe some of you are aware of it, but the, for those of you who are not, I, I believe God has so much in store uh, in life for this church. I have a few prophetic words that I'll share towards the end of the, the message, but I just want to maybe I'll pray for a second and then we will get into what the Lord has for us today. Is that all right? Lord Jesus, I am thankful uh, to be here with this amazing expression of your church here at Glenridge. Lord, I count it a privilege, and I'm thankful to Stan, Heather, and the team for the invitation. Lord, I pray my words will be your words. I pray that I will speak your heart over this church, and I pray that they will catch your heart. Lord, we want to be lovers of you, which means we want to be obedient to the things you say and the things you call us to as a people. That is your love language, obedience. And when we say we love you, Lord, I pray that in our hearts we are saying we will obey you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump right into it, if that's okay. Um, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start with verse 12. And you, you've probably read this pa passage of Scripture before. Uh, it's, it's Jesus is speaking about dining and eating, and uh, anytime you gather a bunch of unlearned, ordinary men, you know, discussions get funny at the table. Uh, I was able to share some meals with uh, Stan and the team out in Adelaide when we were together at a time with Dudley Daniel, and our discussions got a little unlearned and ordinary. Uh, I, I love the team that you have here. They are amazing men who have a heart for Jesus, are, are so down to earth, but carry, carry so much in God. And so 
Um, here we go. Verse, no, let's start in verse 7. When Jesus, Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. So this is Jesus giving table manner advice to the people at the table. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Uh, I'm Mexican. We don't, we don't really um, do proper seating and stuff like that. We get to the table and we eat with our hands because we use tortillas, which is kind of like the non bread that you guys use. Um, but this is a thing. There's, there's proper etiquette at the table. So Jesus says in verse 10, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests, and for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host, and would you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said. Don't invite your friends, uh, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So when you get invited to, to the wedding feast, take the seat of humility. When you're the one inviting others, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Jesus is clearly giving lessons on invitation. A lesson um, of not worrying about your own seat at the table but worrying about others' place at the table. Like most lessons that Jesus gave in Scripture, uh, his listeners clearly didn't understand, and, and we can see this in, in verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaim, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. So Jesus' lessons was, was about others, worried worry about where others are sitting, worried about where the others who have not been invited. And at the end of that lesson, this guy, probably a guy like me, we use the word knucklehead. He's just someone who just doesn't get it. He says, man, I can't wait to be invited. And so Jesus now has to go into parable mode because he missed the point. It's not about your invitation. It's about others' invitations. So verse 16, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Can you say invitations? Invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And one said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Rejection, right? 19. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I, I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Rejection. Verse 20, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Rejection. So the servant returned and told his master what they had said and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 
Rejection after rejection is what we see in this parable that Jesus is giving. And I, and I think if we, being 2,000 plus years removed from this portion of Scripture, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that this is about reaching people to come to the table of Jesus. And I think the greatest fear that most Christians carry about evangelism, about preaching the gospel, about the invitation to this great feast that we so freely get to participate in is rejection. We fear it. We fear opening our mouths in the lines at the grocery store. We fear it in circles of peers. We fear it at the workplace. We fear it in schools. We fear the rejection that could happen if we were to give the invitation. But it's something that Jesus has clearly told us would happen. It's something that Jesus, through Scripture, is trying to prepare us for because it's going to happen. You will be rejected. And so Jesus wants to give us the other avenues and the other opportunities. He wants to prophetically show us that there are other opportunities that we might not be looking for. And I think because the church leans so much into convenience. If it's not convenient, then we think it's no longer God. If the person says no, then we say, oh, and then I guess it wasn't God. Rejection after rejection. And then we see the, the master's response to rejection. And the master's response to, to, to rejection isn't, okay, just shut it down. We're not going to have a feast anymore. Don't worry about it. Bring back all of the invitations. We're not going to feed anyone tonight. The master's response to rejection was widen the invitation. If they're going to reject, then I want you to take this invitation to the highways and to the byways, to the streets and to the hedges. Luke chapter 14, verse 22, we continue. After the servants had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Can you say room for more? There is still room for more. There's still room for more. So his master said, now go into the country lanes and behind the edges and urge anyone. Urge anyone that you can find to come. Urge anyone you can find to come. Listen to this, friends, so that the house will be full. So that the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my, my banquet. If you've been in church for even a short amount of time, I'm pretty sure you've heard this parable. You've you know this story, you know? but I want to I explain it just a bit, just to tease out some of the Sunday school truths that we already know, if that's okay. I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy, so Sesame Street works for me. You guys know what Sesame Street is? Okay. So Jesus is the master in this parable, and he has prepared a banquet on behalf of his Father. He has set this banquet table for our Heavenly Father. And anyone who has accepted Jesus as Lord has been invited to this wonderful feast. And, and, and there you receive salvation, healing, deliverance, redemption, and restoration. This is what is offered at the banquet table of Jesus. Anyone who hasn't accepted Jesus 
These are the things that are being offered to you. Salvation, healing, deliverance, redemption, restoration. Unfortunately, I think like the man in verse 14, I believe there's far too many Christians today that are consumed with their own position at the table. I mean, I just want you to think of it. If you, if you can picture a, a large dining table with a bunch of children and, you know, it, uh, I think it happened last night with uh, Greg and Tarn at their home. Like, you know, someone always forgets something at the table. And so when you volunteer someone to go, you know, go get a, a fork and a knife or go get a cup, it's always, you know, kind of like, oh. why do I have to get off the table? I'm comfortable. I love my seat. I love my place. You know, if I get off from the table, I'm going to miss something. Or someone's going to take my place. Or if you have a bunch of kids like I do, someone's going to eat my portion. <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, this is some, some of the condition of the church. We're comfortable at this table. We're comfortable at this beautiful feast that has been given to us. And we fail to recognize that those of us who have already participated in the feast, we are no longer the invitees. We are the invitation bearers. We are the servants that the master is putting invitations in our hands. And he's saying, go and give invitations. Go. Go to the highways and the byways. And when you get rejected, I want you to go even further. And when you get rejected, I want you to use different avenues. I want you to, to use different alleyways. Different, go to different portion, portions of, of your city. Different areas that God is opening up for you. But we're worried about our place at the table. Verse 23 so his master said, go out into the country lanes, behind the hedges, urge anyone. And I want to ask us, church, is the invitation of Jesus still an urgency in our lives? I'm not asking Glenridge as, as, a, as an institution, as a, as a church, because I believe that is the urgency of Glenridge Church. But just because it might be the urgency of Glenridge Church doesn't mean it's my urgency. It doesn't mean that it's an urgency that you might carry. This, this church carries corporate anointing. This church has been a church for the nations. This church has been a church that is giving itself to discipleship and to, and to reaching this, this area and beyond. But that doesn't mean that's been my urgency. And I believe when, 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 we, when we walk in, in, into that inheritance of saying that we are the church, we are the church, this urgency has to become very personal. This urgency isn't the, the elders' urgency and isn't, isn't those who are gifted in evangelism's urgency. This is our urgency. And why this is our urgency? Because this is our Father's urgency. If you want to know what the will of God is, it is not the will of God that one man should perish. People walk around all the time, and I, I have minister in my local church, and I minister everywhere, and people come up to me, can you just pray for me? I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. Preach the gospel. That's the will of God for your life. Share Jesus with your friends and your neighbors. 
Share Jesus at school. Share Jesus at work. Share Jesus in lines at Walmart. I hate Walmart. The lines are forever. But you know what opportunities you have in an hour-long line at Walmart? (laughs) To share the gospel. To pray over someone. You know, to, to bless someone. I mean, there's just, the opportunities are limitless when our eyes are open, friends. Urge anyone you can find. Listen, friends, so that my house will be full. Let me be as clear as Jesus for us if I can. And I love Jesus because he was so clear. He was so clear, he was so profound that they missed it all the time. The religious leaders missed it. His his disciples missed it. It was so simple. God wants his house full. Not just his local house, which would be this place. It's the mansion and glory that he is preparing for us. He wants his house full. As servants, we don't get to dictate the guest list. We don't get to look at the guest list and start crossing people off. No, that's going to be a little bit too hard. No, they're atheists. No, they're living that lifestyle. No, I've tried that before. We don't get to dictate the list. It's the Father's guest list. And we don't get to put a cap on the amount because it gets uncomfortable. It's like, oh, you know, I mean, obviously hospitality is a thing and so you want to be as hospitable as you can. So when you can only afford to feed 50 people, you're not going to invite more than 50 people. Our Father's resources are unlimited. There's no cap to his banquet table. His, his resources, this feast is not limited. So why is it that the church struggles so much to extend our master's invitation to this great feast that you and I have so freely been invited to? Uh, you, you, have you guys ever crashed a party? Any of you? So Mexicans are historical party crashers. We, we show up and unfortunately we show up with other people. So, so I, I, at Vanessa's and my wedding, you know, this is 23 plus years ago, we had extra guests and we ran out of food. It was really embarrassing. Um, but that's just how Mexicans roll. We just say, come, like, let, let's do this together. But I think why the church struggles so much is for various reasons. First is the fear of rejection. As I stated earlier, Jesus already told us that would happen. We, we need to get over that. We need to start operating in faith, not in fear. You, you might be saying, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the Bible. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know a chapter and verse. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers you to be a witness. Acts 1.8, and my spirit will come upon you and you will be my witness. And we, we talk about the Holy Spirit's gift all the time. And I love the giftings of the Holy Spirit. I love speaking in tongues. I love the ability to prophesy. I love all of the other gifts, that the charismatic gifts that come. But what about the gift to be a witness for Jesus? This is why the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And you will be. It sounds like a Yoda kind of Jedi mind trick. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts. In Durban, in Joburg, in the United States. You will be my witnesses. The question I have for your church is, will you? 
Will you? In your schools, in your workplaces, at your family reunions. Are family reunions a thing here? Yeah. If it's not fear, maybe we need to ask ourselves a few other things. Do we want the Lord's house to be full? When we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we picture these seats being filled? The seat next to you that might be empty, do you picture that seat full with a new life, someone who has accepted Christ, rebirth, regenerated? Can you prophetically see the lost in Durban in this place? Because the Lord wants his house full. Does an empty seat next to you phase you at all? Maybe we're worried about space. Maybe we're worried about resources. Maybe we're worried about capacity, you know, spiritual capacity. Like, Lord, like if you send more messy people to us, how are, how are we going to cope? I heard a pastor once say, we all want messy people in the church until messy people show up. Uh, East L.A. Is, is, a, is a messy place. Uh, we've, we've had some really fun things happen in the life of our church. But God ordains, ordains the times and places that men dwell. And just like he's called me to East L.A., he's called you to Durban. This place that he is choosing to use as a vessel to reach the lost those who have not been redeemed and they're going to be messy and they might look polished and they, they might ha- look like they have it all together but I'm telling you until you have found Jesus you're a mess maybe it's insecurities maybe it's selfishness maybe like the men Jesus was speaking to in this passage we're worried about our place at the table Man, if there's more people in the church, then the elders aren't going to have time for me. There's, if there's more people in the church, then we're, not, we're going to lose our intimacy. That's a, the greatest fear of, of intimate churches, right? We're going to lose our intimacy. But if Jesus is building his church and he is building the family of God and God wants his house to be full, we best believe God wants more. I think... I know a bit of what this is like, and I want to share a brief story with you. Um, so just over three years ago, I was in South Carolina. It's on the East Coast. Um, I was in a hotel room, and I, I received a phone call from Vanessa, my wife. And the conversation starts like this. Babe, they have a baby for us. That's not a little thing. And she was just, this is Vanessa talking. She was just born on July 2nd. She's been exposed to drugs. So we don't know if there's going to be complications. But we only have one hour to answer them. So if, if you know our story, we, we have six children. At the time, we had, we had five children. Uh, three of our children are from Vanessa's womb. And, and two, we had already adopted into our family. And that first adoption process was pretty brutal. It was, 
It was four years of foster care, and if you know, foster care in the States is pretty hectic, especially in Los Angeles, which is the largest amount of orphans and foster children in our nation. And so we, man, it was inspections and, you know, social workers, you know, they had lawyers and social workers and house inspectors and, you know, it, it's just, it was just, I mean, there's background checks and it, it, it's, it's hectic. It's not easy. And then there's visitations with, with the biological parents that you have to, because the, the, the heart of, of children's services is first to reunite them and then once they deem the parents not fit, then eventually they'll terminate the parents' rights and then you have the ability to adopt them. And that was our story and it, and it took about four years. And our heart initially was, was not for adoption. Our heart was to facilitate love and care for these children that, that, that we were hoping would be able to reunite with their mother and then, you know, didn't work out in that way. And so we had to say yes to Jesus. So when this third baby was offered to us, it wasn't something we were looking for. It wasn't, we weren't in line waiting for a child. We weren't you know, signed up for another baby to be received. But when my wife prays for things, things happen. And so she had been praying for another baby and she knew that, that Jody was going to have, you know, some issues with it. And so when she made this call, it, it was this, this, this overwhelming sense of the price that, that swept over me. I mean, we don't have enough room. I mean, I, I mean our, our house is tight as it is. We got five kids. I mean, we, our oldest son is, you know, in his 20s. Our, our, our youngest daughter at the time, she's just six. I mean, we're, we're raising kids at every stage of life. And to start over again, this is, it's too much, Lord. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. I don't even know if I have enough love in this tank to give to another baby. Begin to think of the future. I was... 42, I'm calculating. Man, she's 18. I'm going to be 60 years old when she graduates from high school. I'm going to be an old guy. I used to be the young guy, but now I'm going to be the old guy. It's, it's... But this is how we think when we, when we consider the loss. We just start counting the price. We just consider the price, the cost, the expense. So as I brought all of my selfish worries and complaints to the Lord... God interrupted my prayer. And he asked me this simple question. And really, this is what evangelism breaks down to, friends. Can you love her for one day? Can, can, can I love this baby that was going to be given to us for one day? And I didn't know what it would take. I didn't know if we would keep her. I didn't know if it would be temporary, permanent. Can you love her for one day? And in between my snot and my tears, I answered the Lord, yeah, of course. Who can't love a baby for one day? So his question to me was, can you do that every day? Because that's all he was going to ask me to do. To love her each day. So we decided to say yes. So I called Vanessa back. I say, God asked if I can love her. I said yes, so we're saying yes. And so she's, she's crying on the other end of the phone. She's doing backflips in the spirit. She's excited. 
So I had to come back from South Carolina, and we decided to tell the kids together. So she waited till I got home. Uh, we make arrangements to pick her up, um, but we need to tell our other children first. And so we sit them down in, in, our, in our living room, and we, we say, hey, we are going to be accepting a new baby into our home. And there was a dual response. And the response was kind of like this. So Judah and Mackenzie, who have both been adopted, were ecstatic. Because this was their story. They knew what it was like to not be a child accepted into a home and then to be accepted and to be received and to be given new names and to have their new identity given to them because the old parents' names are taken off and the, uh, the new parents' names are placed on that birth certificate as if they have always been ours. They knew what it was like when we were in, in the courtroom and we swore before the judge that they would receive equal inheritance to our natural children. Isn't that a picture of the adoption that Jesus has given us? We co-heirs with Christ, we who were once orphans, we get to share an inheritance with Christ Jesus. We get given new identities and new names because of what Christ Jesus did. And so Judah and Mackenzie, who had been adopted, they were, I mean, they were disappointed she wasn't going to be a boy, but they were so excited. But our other children, our three older children, they, they were carrying a bit of what their dad was carrying. This is going to be hard. This is hard. There's going to be visits. There's going to, there's going to be social workers coming back to our house. There's going to be inspections. There's going to be, you know, mom and dad are going to have less time for us. There's going to, there's going to be a, a being spread thin again. But then there's the grace of God. <laughs> there's a grace of God. We picked up uh, Macy Ray when she was 20 days old. Um, October of last year. Um, she was fully adopted. We adopted her into our home. Uh, her name was Raylene, and we, we renamed her Macy Ray. Macy meaning a weapon. And we are reconsidering that name because this girl is violent. <laughs> but friends, I think sometimes when we consider this feast that we have been given invitations to, we are far too concerned with our own position. And we are not considering the orphans and the lost that God is calling home. The inheritance that Jesus has placed at this, this feast table for each and every one of us, there's, there's enough. He is not limited in resources like we are. He is not limited in love like we are. He is not limited in his capacity like we are. And he is asking us to tap into his heart. And we've been given these invitations, church. We've been given these invitations to go. We've been given these invitations to invite. And there needs to be an urgency like never before because Jesus is coming soon, church. 
And if you don't feel that in the spirit, I want to ask you, you need to tap into what God is doing here on the planet because this, this thing that we are a part of is in full motion. I know COVID tried to shut down the world, but the gospel is still advancing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 says this, but you are a chosen people. How many of you know this portion of scripture? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's very own possession. Do you belong to God? Do you consider yourself his own possession? So that you, listen, this is why you are his possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. This is why God has possessed you. So that you can proclaim his excellencies. Listen to this, friends. For you once were not a people. Once we weren't his children. Once we weren't adopted. Once we were orphans sitting in orphanages in, 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 in foster care. But now you are a people of God. You've been given new names. You've been given an inheritance. And you've been given invitations into your hands. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many of you thank God for his mercy? Psalm 68, 6 said, God places the lonely in family. What a privilege to be a part of God's family. But how selfish is it of, of us if we never extend that invitation to someone else? Romans 8.15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. We get in intimacy with this father. How could we ever withhold that from anyone else? The most basic thing any child on this planet needs is affection. It's to be loved, to be held, to be, to be nurtured by a father. How could we ever hold that back from anyone else? So here's my challenge for us today, church. If you are part of this spiritual household, God is placing invitations in your hands today. He's asking you to go. Go into the spheres of influence that he has given you and invite anyone and everyone to this feast that God has prepared. And when you're rejected, he wants you to go beyond your spheres of influence to the highways, the byways, to the streets, behind the hedges, to the darkest of places to take these sacred invitations that we've been given. Your father wants his house full. Another way I like to put it I mean, Americans, we, we love or we want what we pay for. I mean, we have return policies in America that I don't know if you have here. I, I once got a cell phone in South Africa to use and it didn't work. I, I mean, I, I, I bought it, I put in the SIM chip, didn't work. Two minutes later, I go back to the same store that I just purchased it from and said, I'd like to return this, this is not working. And they're like, yeah, sorry, that doesn't work like that here. 
they had to call corporate. I mean, it was, it was a thing. It took me like a week. In America, it's not like that. If something doesn't work, we take it right back and they give us our money back. It's strange. Costco in, in the States is beautiful. You buy anything at Costco, if it's defective, you go back and you get your money back. So we like what we pay for. Our Father wants what He paid for. He sent His only Son to die a brutal death on a cross for all of humanity. And our Father wants what He paid for. Can we stop worrying about our place at the table? Our comforts, our security, our life, and friends, even our ministry. Can we be the church? And you ever seen that movie, Field of Dreams, with Kevin Costner? It was an older movie. The thing in Field of Dreams is if, if you build it, they will come. It's not the church that Jesus is building. Jesus is saying, I'm going to build it so that you can go. I'm going to build it so that you can go. Stan, as I was praying for the church, just for you and the elders and, and for the church at large, I just began to see this, this feast table that has been set here and the inheritance that, that you are already walking in. But I really believe that the Lord says that he's not done building the legacy of Glenridge Church. That there's going to be extensions added to the feast table that is represented here at this local church. And the Lord is saying that because you have been faithful with little, and in my context, this is not little, so. <laughs> but because you've been faithful with little, that I'm going to give you charge over much. That if you will continue to send... God says, I will continue to replenish. That if you continue to love, I will continue to send. It's this, it's this revolving door of the kingdom of God and it's this feast that we're, we are once the invited and then we become the invitee, the inviters. And the Lord is going to activate this priesthood like never before. But there has to be a willingness from this, from this local bride to say yes. And that's going to be my charge to you, Glenridge. The church that Jesus is building will be a going church. And if you will be faithful with the little that God has put in your hands, maybe you have one invitation. Maybe you have ten invitations. God will give you charge over much. If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes this morning... Prophetically, I just want to ask the Lord to give you an image of one person. A person in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's a person that you've already had a burden for. Someone the Lord has already placed on your heart. It's a, it's a burden that you've had to see this person come to know Jesus. It could be a loved one. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. And as you see them, as you could see them prophetically in your mind's eye, I want you to open your hands. 
And I want you to feel the invitation that the Lord is placing in your hand. It's a simple thing. It's an invitation of love. It's an invitation of redemption. It's an invitation to a great feast. And if you can follow this prophetic imagery, church, can you see yourself passing that invitation to this person? And then in faith, if you can go even further, can you see that person sitting next to you in this place, worshiping the king that we worship? Being filled with the spirit that we've been filled with. Participating in the feast that we so freely participate in. And if you could see that, then my charge to you is to go. Be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is showing you now. If you wouldn't mind standing. thankful for the inheritance that they walk in but Lord I'm more thankful for the destiny that they are walking into I'm thankful for the heart that Dan and Heather carry as they lead this local church and Lord I just see the capacity growing and growing I see this table extending and extending and Lord I see new faces and fresh life and Lord you, you are just getting started Lord, I pray that this household is prepared for that. Prepared to share their space at the table. Prepared to share the attention that they receive, the love they receive, the discipleship they receive with those you will send to this household. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.